Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. I am so incredibly excited to have a fellow podcaster on the podcast today. Uh, Sarah Lockhart is an SLP who works in her own private practice in Ashland, Oregon. Um, She also maintains a monthly blog with research and therapy techniques for busy SLPs. She also works in school contracts where she does a combination of travel work and telepractice which is what we're going to be diving in today. We've gotten a lot of questions about telepractice, um, and so I'm really excited for Sarah to break things down for us and help answer some of those common questions. Um, In addition, Sarah's clinical interests include autism, childhood apraxia of speech, and dyslexia. She's also, as I mentioned, the co-host of the SLP Happy Hour podcast, Um, and it's a podcast focused on bringing might to burnout in our profession and offering easy lessons and encouragement to SLPs across the globe. So definitely worth subscribing to that podcast as well. She always delivers amazing information um, and just like super relatable, which we can definitely use when things get a little bit crazy in our SLP world. Um, So without further ado, hello, Sarah. Hi, I loved that intro. It was so good. And it's really fun to talk to a fellow podcaster. I'm really excited. Yeah, this is going, I think, I think you might be the first podcaster that I've interviewed, potentially. I'm wondering because it's been, we've been doing the podcast since May. So I think you are the first. Super exciting. Um, and so thank you so much for coming on to talk about all things telepractice, teletherapy with us. Um, and before we dive into some of the common questions, um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit of your story. Like, how did you get started with telepractice? That's a great question. And um, let's see. So I started out in the schools. I think that's pretty common. And I also think there are probably people listening who are currently working in the schools and have their eye on telepractice. So I'm hoping that this episode will be really informative for them as well as new SLPs just starting out and people wanting to maybe transfer in from an outside setting. So I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon. I, let's see, I started working in schools in Portland and they were, I would say a very low income school that was within the city. And I worked in schools for six years and it was so wonderful and so stressful. I loved spending time with the children. I loved running groups. I really enjoy working with children as a part of a group. I really enjoyed my coworkers and working with teachers. And at the end of the day, I just felt so satisfied that the children I worked with, they didn't have awesome private insurance. They weren't going to, you know, go see a private therapist at the end of the day. So that, you know, as long as they qualified, I could help these children. And it didn't matter how much money their parents made. It didn't matter if they were in foster care. It didn't matter if their parents were in jail. So again, I was working with a population that really needed the kind of service that the schools were providing. So I still have a huge soft spot in my SLP world for the school setting. I think it's a fantastic setting. But over time, the paperwork got to be more and more and the demands got to be more and more. The, the longer you work in one placement, wherever you are, the more work there is to do and the more people rely on you. And it just got to be so stressful that I would just feel the Sunday blues and the Monday melancholies, if you want to call it that. Uh, and But leaving that job was really difficult. And leaving that job was really difficult because, again, I loved the students. But ultimately, I had to figure out if it was possible for me to stay in the profession because, again, I was exhausted. I was burned out. Uh, So could I stay in the profession in another setting? 
So that's when telepractice came into my world. I work for a small company that is based out of Portland, Oregon. I had a friend that worked there and I had been talking to her for years before I actually made the switch. Because for me, working in the schools was something I'd done for years and there's quite a bit of security uh, with that position. And, you know, I didn't hate my job. So I thought, you know, should I even leave? I remember the last day of working, I was crying so hard. My husband had to come get me and drive me home because like I couldn't see the road. And thankfully we only lived like a half a mile away. But um, yeah, he had to come pick me up and take me home because I was crying so hard because I liked my job. But there's a really wonderful phrase that I heard um, from a poet on another podcast and it was, does that which you love also love you. And in the case of my school job, I loved those children and I loved running those groups, but it didn't love me. I had a lot of paperwork. I had a lot of stress. I had a situation with administration at one point that wasn't very uh, supportive and it was causing me a lot of mental distress. So Leaving that job was hard because I thought, well, you know, wherever you go, there you are, right? Um, and I thought, it doesn't matter where I go. I'm me, right? I'm still going to struggle. But what I did is I ended up making the switch to telepractice, and my problems did not follow me. And I found more time, I found more happiness, and I found more balance, if you can say that there is a balance. Um, I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe you have to choose and let things go. But uh, so that's where I started, and in my switch to telepractice after I left, you know, working schools that first day, I worked for a small school district here in Oregon. I don't still work there. Uh, with telepractice, I, it's pretty common to kind of switch schools every year as different placements need you. But, um, and I had an SLPA, so an SLP assistant, who was uh, seeing the children, and that person worked on site at the school. She was there every day. It was fantastic. I supervised her. I did a lot of paperwork, and then um, the company I work for does a hybrid model, so I'm about 75% telepractice and 25% on site, so that means 25% of the time I travel to the actual school. So I'm doing assessments in person. I'm doing as many IEP meetings as I can in person, although, you know, there's so many, I can't fit them all into those weeks. So that's the hybrid model that I do when I do telepractice right now. I'm currently working for a school district in California, and it's a pretty similar setup. I have licensure in Oregon and in California, and I've been doing California schools for, I want to say, about four years. So that's, that's my story from switching to schools to switching to telepractice. Uh, a year after I started telepractice, I also opened my own private practice. I moved to a small town in Southern Oregon. I live in Ashland, Oregon. It has a population of 20,000 people. It's in a little valley. There's mountains all around me. And I just kind of moved for a slower pace of life. And when I moved, I opened up a private practice. So right now I do about half my time in my own private practice and half my time in a school contract for again a small telepractice company based in Portland, Oregon where I do 75% telepractice and 25% travel. That sounds amazing. Um, I love that you were able to um, kind of like look at different options and find something that works for you. Um, super inspiring. And I, it was really cool to hear that story. Um, and then I had just one curious follow-up question. Um, so when you were, like, do you still work with an SLPA? So California is interesting because there are um, SLP assistants and SLP aides, and it's two completely different certifications. So the SLP assistant is more like in Oregon, for example, what we would expect. They have coursework in the profession. They have had a practicum. They have a minimum number of hours that the state has signed off on. SLP aides are 
really all you need to do to be an SLP aide uh, is to register with the state of California and describe, describe what that person will be doing in their day-to-day -day operations. Uh, and then California can, you know, approve or deny it. So in California, I work with an SLP aide. Okay. Um, and so I assume that she, because I've heard of like different, I've dabbled a little bit. Um, and the aides typically just bring the student to the session and help get that set up, right? So again, when you when you apply, <laughs> it's like, what can they do? And then we're getting into legal things. So I don't want to get too far into it. But when you apply, you describe exactly what that person is going to do. And the state can say that's okay or that's not okay. And to be completely honest, in the state of California, there were not a lot of specific guidelines that I could use to figure out what the difference was, what they were allowed to do, what they weren't allowed to do. So for me and my comfort level <laughs> and my, you know, agreement with the state, uh, yes, my aide can go get the students. But also I feel like if something is written down, for example, if I have a picture scene, and I've already had the WH questions that go with the picture scene. Does she need specialized training to read those WH questions? I would say no. So I did put something in my application that was essentially that like, if the directions are written and there's something that someone can read, she can go ahead and do that part. And then of course, like behavior management and having, you know, having the actual game or activity prepped and in front of the children is super helpful. So really she does all sorts of things. That sounds pretty amazing. I love it. Um, awesome. And then I'm curious too, just a little bit more about kind of like what that looks for you. So you're doing about um, like half time in the private practice, half time with that other company. Um, and I'm curious, let's like we can focus more on the telepractice side here. Um, but what ages do you work with and kind of do you work in groups or kind of how does that compare to what your caseload was like in the schools? Awesome. It compares almost exactly. Of course, this is What's interesting is in California, I'm in more of a rural ranching community. In Portland, when I worked in the schools, I was in an urban school. So I was in a city school. So who the families are is really different just because of the location. But as far as the actual work, uh, the needs of the students, it's the same, I would say, or very, very similar. So, you know, schools are schools are schools. And one thing I tell people, especially thinking back into my own story and how I took two years to make the switch because I thought, oh, the learning curve is going to be so hard or, oh, I don't know how to do this. Uh, and I didn't find that to be true at all. I, I found it extremely similar to working in the schools in a lot of ways. So that's the same for the job I have now. So uh, I serve, again, a rural school in a ranching community, and I work with ages about more or less 3 to 13. So I do some ECSE, some preschool. I do elementary school, and I do middle school. And for where I'm working, the high school is actually in another district. They don't even have a high school. So that's the ages. As far as the population, there aren't a lot of resources there for students with high needs. So thinking about things that might be in other districts, like a special day communication class, we don't offer that. So those students might go to another district that offers that. So as far as the severity of students, I would say because it's a small district, it doesn't have a communication classroom per se. They do have a special day class, but um, I would say that overall uh, I'm dealing with mild to moderate communication disorders and I am seeing groups. So just to walk you through maybe a session, I'm trying to think my first session of the day, it's going to be a couple of kids that are in the special day class. We have been working on concepts. So uh, the SLPA will go ahead and go to the classroom and bring them to me. 
an activity we did recently was a smashma activity with prepositions. And for me, I was just trying to figure out what location concepts they knew and didn't know. So it was kind of a really informal playtime to see, you know, do they know between or under or over so that I could make a list of, of what they needed to work on. And then the next day at the similar session, we focused on between. So we used some Play-Doh smash mats. My aide was there. She got out the smash mats and the Play-Doh. And all of our directions were between because that's something that both of the students needed. And then after that, we worked on a picture scene because we've been really working on answering WH questions. So I had a seasonal picture scene and then some WH questions that were pre-written just to see how can they do in a picture activity like that since we had been working and teaching uh, those WH questions. And then we did that and then it was time for them to go because of course sessions are never as long as you'd like them to be. Uh, so that would be like a typical language session that I might do. Ooh, so helpful. I love that you went into like those specifics because I think that just really helps, um, just helps us imagine what it would be like. Um, and so, and then I'm imagining that you're, so you're doing tele, like you're, um, you use some kind of app to like attend the session virtually. Um, and then are you like, how does that communication look? Like what, in terms of like, what does the SLPA do? What are you doing? Right. So let's walk through maybe an articulation session. So let's say I have an articulation session and it's individual or a group. If, if it's a group, I'm probably not going to see both kids sitting next to each other because one kid will get bored. So uh, let's say I have a kid working on S blends and a kid working on K, which I do. So the child working on S blends can come up to the computer and work with me with headphones just so that I can hear them and see them really, really well. Well, I can see them the same anyway, but um, yes, they will attend better with the headphones and I can hear the sounds better. So they'll work with me. And what I can do is I can screen share my iPad. So whatever platform you use, there's tons of video conferencing platforms out there. I would say if you can find one that allows for screen sharing, that has been something that's been really important to me. So with this articulation session, I have the Busy Bee articulation app, which I think most SLPs listening know exactly what that is. So on my iPad, on my tablet, I will do AirPlay, A-I-R-P-L-A-Y. So, and I can do that by swiping down and it will play and basically cast onto my video conferencing image. So the child will be able to see me as well as the iPad. So again, I have a kid, they're sitting in front of me, they have headphones, we're working on S blends. Let's say we're at word level because I can think of a kid that I am doing that with right now. Um, and we'll go through the words spoon and they'll actually see the spoon on their, um, on their screen. They'll be able to see me. And I might say, remember, tongue goes behind the teeth. Watch me. They'll look at me. I can see them. They'll try again, and I can hear them extra super duper well because they're wearing the headset. So we might go through some S blend words on the um, articulation app, the Busy Bee articulation app. Or I have lots of apps that you know we can use if we want. Um, although I would say I probably only use apps in like less than 25% of my sessions. Um, so we would do that while the child with K would be practicing like coloring a K picture. They could bring the picture to me, the kids would switch, um, and that child would say some words from their K picture. And then we might use a different app or the same app, and we would do some Ks in words or some Ks in isolation. I would say, oh, look at me. Remember, we're going to keep mouth open. It's a back sound. It's a scratchy coughing sound. And we would work together. And then the students would probably do something at the table together that um, was kind of an artsy coloring type project or a game uh, that focused on picture cues for their sounds. And then that session would be over. So that's what, for example, an articulation session might look like. So with the language example that I gave before, that was something that I had already taught. So I, I wanted to see mostly, you know, where my students were. And then uh, 
the person who's with the kids to ask a WH question doesn't need any special training. But for the articulation piece, you know, obviously an aide doesn't have any special training on that. So for that, the student would work with me one on one, and then we'd switch again just so that it doesn't get bored. And so those sessions might look pretty different. Also, a session might look really different if again, I was teaching a new skill versus reinforcing a skill. So I would be more involved in teaching a new skill or anything that was like data taking or assessment. Yeah, that's super helpful. And I was particularly curious about the group because I've talked to a number of teletherapists who say that they only do one-on-one and like some different companies that I talked to. So I was just curious kind of about that setup too. Um, but like the camera, like you could see both students and interact with both of them just like you could with one. So that makes sense. If they have something in front of them, they're pretty good. Like, again, whether it's like a coloring sheet or a game or an activity, just to sort of keep their hands busy. Uh, just like when I worked in the schools in person, you know, you can only really focus your attention on one child at a time. Uh, not that we don't have divided attention, we all do it. Uh, but I would say, you know, think about when you do groups in the schools, if you're working in the schools now, or if you have any experiences of working with groups, you're only really tuned into one kid at a time and you're kind of watching the others and, you know, trying to provide a cohesive activity that keeps everyone busy and engaged until it's their turn next. So very similar in that way to being in person, at physically present at a school. Yeah, so helpful. And I love your describing abilities because I can just, like, I can really picture it. I haven't done teletherapy yet, so it's just really cool to kind of get to pretend like I'm in on one of your sessions. And are you picturing my kids, like, wiggling back and forth and, like, constantly grabbing at things? Because that's a part of it, too. No, I was picturing the perfect students. (laughs) Okay, I may have a couple of those. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's so helpful. Thank you for breaking that down. Um, And then just taking a step back, you've shared some of this already, but I'm curious to dive into like maybe a couple more things, but what do you like most about telepractice? Mm -hmm. What I like most is not getting interrupted like 40 million times a day. So (laughs) there's some research out there that's every interruption you get, it's going to take you up to 20 minutes to refocus. And that's what I did find in the schools. It would be like, oh, one of your students is having a meltdown in the hallway, or someone walks in and is like, hey, can you do a screening? Or your phone rings, or the office calls you. And I was really struggling to basically, in the schools, we're pretty much at 100% productivity. We're pretty much with schools, with groups, or in IEP meetings all of the day. So if I had 20 minutes, I needed to be writing a report or working on an IEP. And I never ever had time to do those things during the school day because of the number of interruptions. And so that was a struggle for me. And that's something that I feel like I am able to, you know, if I have 20 minutes, actually spend it on my paperwork and making sure that's as good as it can be. Uh, but again, you know, caseloads are big, whether you are in person or virtual, uh, you're going to have a lot of paperwork to do. So that's still the same, but something that I like is just that the day is a bit, a bit calmer, I would say. And I have a few more opportunities to get some of my paperwork done. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then I'm curious too, compared to Um, being in the schools, because you did that for six years, what are some of the challenges with telepractice or things that are just, yeah, a little more challenging? So it's not the therapy. It's actually uh, the perception that people will have of you coming in. So again, if you're doing teletherapy, it's very possible that you'll be in a new place every year. I've been lucky to be at the same place in California for, I believe, four-ish years now. Uh, So when you go into a new place or when you meet a new family, someone will think, 
wait, how in the world can this work? How is this going to work? My kid won't um, interact with her. This isn't going to, you know, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to be effective. And there is a ton of resistance. Uh, so I would say both with teachers who are concerned, who are wanting to advocate for their students and are concerned about the model, but also parents who are really concerned that you won't be able to help their student. So a few things I've done to address that, although it is still a struggle, is I write a letter at the beginning of the school year and it, especially if I'm in a new placement and I explain how it all works. And then I also let parents know how they can get a hold of me. I do have a work cell number that I got through Google Voice that parents can call or text. Um, I do have an email address associated with the school district and I also have a fax number. So I'm gonna share that. I have not had issues with parents overcalling me. Uh, so if you are concerned with that, you can just give them the school number and the school can take a message for you, but it's not a bad idea to get a Google Voice number because as it rings your cell phone, it will show up as, oh, this is someone calling your Google Voice number and it'll have a different ring and you'll be able to see it on your screen. So you'll know, oh, this is a school call. Do I wanna take this or not? Now, ultimately I decided to get two cell phones, which by the way, I work with some high school kids in private practice and they're like, you have two cell phones? <laughs> They're really impressed by that, but it's just because I want to put my work phone away and I don't want to, you know, on the phone that I'm like on Instagram on or texting my sister, I don't also want to get work calls on that phone. So that's something I did probably about my third year because I realized it was kind of stressing me out. So that's the first thing I do. The second thing I do is I offer a six-week check-in. So if a parent is starting with me and they are super concerned or even a teacher, I say, you know what? Uh, and I say this, I think that as women, but also as people in the helping profession, we don't talk ourselves up enough. So I say, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years. I'm good at what I do. And I'm confident I can help your child or your student and that this is gonna work. So let's take six weeks. I'm very good at taking data. I will take data every single session, which we do anyway, but parents and teachers don't know that. And then let's meet in six weeks. I'm gonna put it on the calendar and we're gonna go over the results and how your child is doing or how your student is doing. Then I create a visual. And again, I'm only doing this for a few kids at a time because we wouldn't have time otherwise. But then I create a visual chart where uh, we graph uh, how the student has improved during that time. And as long as it shows improvement, which I would say it's it, it should if, if the child is a good candidate for speech therapy via telepractice, and if you're using you know, good practice and good teaching techniques, you can show that and meet back and show that growth. So those are two things I've done to address that. So again, it's a friendly letter home with the opportunity to connect for parents, number one, and number two is offering a six week meeting, and then at that meeting, providing a visual chart of the student's growth. That is super helpful. I love those ideas. And I think those are good strategies to use regardless of the setting that you're in. Like, I think that'd be pretty impressive from, yeah, whether you're in the schools or private practice, and those are really great ideas. Um, so speaking of data, um, do you feel like you need different strategies to keep up with your data doing teletherapy or do you feel like a lot of the same things work? So firstly, I would say that uh, I'm going to give some examples. So again, an articulation session that we talked about before, a child using SP blends, let's say, and they were 70% accurate. Would that data be different in telepractice? No. I'm going to write, you know, take a tally of the correct productions, I'll know an accuracy and I'll know the level of prompting, just like if I was there in person. So the data itself is gonna look really similar. Uh, for an example of maybe a language session, like the one I talked about earlier in the podcast, the example of the group where we were working on between, we had the smash mats. Uh, I do, if it's not visually on the screen, so for example, let's say a kid is sitting there, and I say, you know, 
put smash the one where the boy is between the bears. I won't be able to physically see if he got it right or not. So that's where speech aid or an assistant or a helper or an educational assistant, a support staff member is really helpful. If I didn't have that, I could do all like online games. And there are companies that do things like that where it's just one student at a time and everything is on the screen. So that's totally an option. It's just not really my style. So in the case of the group working on between, the SLP aide did have to say like correct or incorrect or she had to kind of let me know how they did uh, and sometimes she'll just like you know make a little dot and tell me at the end uh, but ultimately you know I'm responsible for tracking the data so that is a small piece where I might let's say we we're doing smash mats I might say, hey, it looked like it was, you know, three out of four that they got, was that correct? Or, hey, will you tell me after each, each smash on the smash mat if that was correct or not? Or I might just say, you know what, I'm not gonna take data on this and I'm gonna do a reinforcing activity where I can see their response. So those are ways that data might be different. And also, I feel like I can't talk about data without talking about SLP toolkit, which is like, that's just what I use to take data, to write my session notes, to before an IEP do probes, because ultimately I, I don't have the brain space and bandwidth to track it, and I hate having a million papers. So I think that's a good option for people who are already virtual and who are already used to, you know, taking data on the computer to import their data and track kids so that again, as I travel, I can just open that up and take a look versus dealing with physical student files. So I actually don't have any physical student files. Everything is, you know, virtual. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And if you're on the computer anyway, taking that digital data um, sounds like a great solution. Um, so yeah, that's super helpful. Um, and then I'm also curious, because you're working with an SLP aide, like how do you um, stay organized? Because like the therapy planning would be the same whether you're doing it in person or virtually, um, but then there's the added level of getting the, or like coordinating with the SLPA or the SLP aide. Um, so I'm curious what that looks like for you. Yeah, so full transparency, some weeks I am more organized than others, but I actually really love the planning aspect. I know not all SLPs do, but I love to plan my sessions and figure out what I'm doing. So I have a Google Doc, and again, we talk about HIPAA, privacy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, most districts should have a BAA agreement, which is basically an agreement with Google that they sign. That means that um, everything is safe and sound, good to go. And technically, if that agreement is in place, uh, everything is encrypted and you can put student information in there. So with that said, I feel like that's the responsibility of the school district, ultimately. But um, versus like my private practice, I had to do one on my own. So I use Google Drive, I have a document, it has the students, it has the times, and then it has the activity. So it has three columns and I have that ready for each day. So at a glance, she can look, see the activity we're doing. And then as soon as that group is over, when she's walking the students back to class and getting the next group, I have a couple minutes, I will open the Google Doc and I will write what we're doing the next session. And to add to that, it, I think it seems more complicated than it is because going back to maybe our smash mat working on between example, maybe we did a smash mat last session and I want to see if they can transfer that knowledge into a new activity. So I'll write down what that activity is really quick. Um, that's my thing, music apparently for being an SLP. And then um, I'll write down exactly what we're doing the next session. And it'll probably be kind of similar to what we did the session before, which I think is really helpful for any support staff that may be supporting you. 
and have that note in there. And so then at the beginning of each day, and really at the end of each day, it's already complete for the following speech therapy day. Ooh, I love that idea of like, because that's the best time to plan a session is right after you've seen the students, you know, you know where they're left off. It's fresh in your mind. Um, and the fact that she's doing that transition for you, like that is, that's so smart. I love that. Um, and then what about getting the activities to her? Like, do you add links into the plan or do you send the files? Like, how do you keep those pieces organized? Yes, because it is a lot. Um, there, I have a Google Drive folder. So it'll be like, you know, elementary school articulation, elementary school language, middle school language, etc. Um, so I will reshare the folder. And I will say there, you know, our wires get crossed where I'm like calling the packet the wrong name or if they don't have the cover page so they don't know what the packet is called. And, you know, my helper might have it and I might be calling it something different or describing it differently. And she may say she doesn't have it. So then I'll resend the link and she'll be like, oh, I actually have that. We're good to go. So there is an organization piece there, but I would say it actually keeps me more organized to do telepractice because I can't just like wing it like in the schools and show up and grab something. Uh, I have to know what I'm going to do because I don't, whoever's supporting me and helping me, I don't want to put them in a bad position where they feel stressed or they feel like they need to scramble at the last minute. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that really helps with the accountability. Um, so super smart. I love it. Um, and then, so it sounds like you use a lot of traditional materials because your aid is able to print them out and like get those ready to go. Um, but do you have any, and you mentioned the little B articulation app, which I love. It's amazing. Um, do you have any other tools that you find yourself reaching for often that you find like that just work well in that setting or just any other tips related to materials? Yes. Okay. Materials. So I would say that the ability to screen share with your iPad is a really great resource. But like you said, it's like if I have someone who's going to offer to print out and laminate things, I'm just going to use my traditional <laughs> materials that I'm used to using uh, because that's what works for me. But with the iPad, I would say, I just want to grab my iPad and take a look. But uh, the important thing to know is they can see, but they can't like touch their computer screen and interact with the app. So that, to me, that's not a problem uh, because, for example, I might have like Peppy, Peppa Bath, or um, another one is, oh, Risha, you're going to know this one. It's where the, the little kids like go to school. My Play Home. My Play Home. I'm sure you know that one. Uh, so the kids have to tell me what to do. So, for example, if I'm working with a preschooler and I am using an app, which, again, it's not totally my jam. I have lots of complicated thoughts about <laughs> how much time kids are on screens and while also doing telepractice, which is on a screen. So it's complicated, but I would say um, I don't use apps a lot, but when I do, for example, um, my play home, they might have to say, they might say, put the girl on the swing, or they might just try to point and I'll say, I literally can't see you, which I remember saying that to kids when I was in the schools, like, oh, tell me with your words. I'm not sure what you mean. And like pretending like you don't understand. But with the apps or like, you know, put Peppa on the toilet. Um, that's a great app because the kids think the toilet is hilarious. Uh, they have to tell me, wait, you know, I have to say, are you talking about the boy or the girl? Or which person are you talking about? Where do you want them? And so it does provide for some language-rich experiences. So I would say in telepractice, uh, if you're wondering if telepractice is right for you, you do have to be flexible and think about ways to get around things like this. So for example, when I'm using apps, kids have to tell me what they want me to do. And then I manipulate the people, which I've gotten like, messages online. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm SLP Happier on Instagram. You can feel free to ask me questions. Um, 
where they're like, oh, but the kid can't interact with it, so I can't use it. And when I hear things like that, I think, you know what, if you want to be in telepractice, you really have to think creatively and you have to see a problem and find a solution. So yeah, as far as materials, I would say, again, some limited I, iPad use. I also wrote a um, two blog posts that um, I can get you the links to for my clinic website that are my favorite websites to use in speech therapy. So one is called 15, I believe 15 great websites for speech therapy. And the next one is called 15 more. <laughs> so if you're looking for resources that are online that you can use in your sessions, I have 30 options for you. And I would say resources and materials that I really like. I really like EET for my middle schoolers, which I'm sure, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you're telepractice or not for that. I really like uh, picture scenes. So on Teachers Pay Teachers, I have so, I mean, basically what I'm doing is taking, you know, digital materials and sending them afar. Uh, picture scenes from Alice in Fours, where it's, she has seasonal scenes like the winter scene, for example. Tons of things are happening in the picture. The kids can talk about it all day long. The WH questions are provided. There's some prepositions activities in there. So I use that very often. And then um, Superpower Speech has seasonal units. So for example, in winter, it's called Snow Much Fun. And there's preschool, level one, level two, level three. And that provides me with something where I can just pick and choose. And of course, your program, the SLP Now materials are really great. I have a membership to that. And the nice thing is I can just log in, search for something that I am needing, like uh, verbs, download it and share it with uh, the person who is at the school so that they can print it and prep it and we can work on skills. So now is a great time for not only digital products, but no print digital products. So there are so many options. You will never run out of materials if you're looking in the right places. Yeah, I can't imagine doing this maybe, I don't know, maybe even like 10 years ago where most of the materials were just like the books and all of that. Like that would have been a much more challenging time to do telepractice. But now you're right. Like there's teachers pay teachers and so many digital tools, like there's countless options. Um, and we'll never get bored. We'll never go through all the materials. <laughs> um, awesome. That was super helpful. I love those different ideas. Um, I'm curious too, because you said um, like needing to be flexible is really important in telepractice, which I think is the case for anything, but um, you definitely especially when you're first starting out, you want to be able to navigate some of those changes, like being able to adjust how you do therapy. Are there any other things that you would say, like if you were putting together a quiz, like is teletherapy right for you? Like what other factors would you consider? Yeah, I love the idea of a quiz. <laughs> uh, the questions I would have on my is teletherapy right for you quiz would be, um, do you need health insurance? And I know that that's, I don't know, may seem off topic, but if you're working for a contract company, chances are you will make a little more money and you won't have health insurance. And so what you should probably do is use that little more money and buy your own health insurance. And to me, it's a wash. It's financially, it works out to be the same as if I worked for the schools. Uh, but to consider that, as you make the switch. If your family or, you know, you as a single unit, if you need that health insurance that you're getting from your current job, as you make the switch to telepractice, it's just something to consider. Does that part make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Okay, good. Uh, another question is, are you flexible? Are you adaptable? Are you open to criticism? Do you have thick skin or if not, can you develop it? Because people are really going to doubt the model and that you can serve the kids you're serving. And you're gonna have to just deal with that. 
are you organized? Are you comfortable with keeping materials online and knowing what to use? And are you, of course, detail-oriented, which is, again, for any SLP? I love it. And I love that you had like a variety of questions in there because we might not think about the health insurance component um, right off the bat. Um, but I love the, like there's a solution for any problem. Um, it's totally possible to purchase health insurance, even if it's not provided. I, I do. Um, yeah, I do too. Um, so yeah, because I feel like that's a hurdle that I've heard a lot of people bring up whether it's related to working for a contract company um, or like starting a business or whatnot, like, oh, I can't do that because then I won't have health insurance. But that is totally solvable. Um, yeah. And I love what I love that you shared different ideas to address because it telepractice is something new and different and something that people aren't as familiar with and they'll be a little bit weary. Um, I know I was at first when one of my districts was considering using it. Um, it was like, it was a little bit, like I definitely had a lot of questions at first. Um, so yeah, I think just being and knowing that it's not you um, and it's just kind of more of the situation and being willing to work around that. And I think you provided some amazing strategies. Like I love that six week check-in idea and just sharing like introducing yourself to the parents and all of that. I think that's so smart. Um, yeah, really amazing. Um, so cool. So I think those tips were super helpful. Um, and then I'm curious too, do you have any other advice or things that you think um, tele or SLP should think about as they're moving into teletherapy? Definitely. Um one question, I would say a lot of SLPs, I think, ask things about like placement or caseload. And really, in this setting, you're not going to know. And even if you get promised one thing, you're going to show up at that school the first day and get something completely different. So that's something that I don't think I realized when I was starting, that I almost wouldn't even ask <laughs> because I've had, you know, I've been promised reasonable caseloads and then had like, you know, huge caseloads and vice versa. You kind of, you need to go where you're going to go and it's probably going to be a mess because they've been looking for someone. Uh, you're filling an unfilled position. They really need you. Uh, so paperwork might be a mess. Uh, team dynamics might be difficult. And just realize that you're going into a place that really needs your support and that in order to make that switch, you're going to be walking into some things that are difficult and messy. So I would say consider that. And then I would ask things like, you know, what the hourly rate is, if there are any benefits, vacation days and sick days. Uh, if there are no benefits, you're going to have to look at the hourly rate and figure out if uh, your increase in pay is going to equal out to that. So, and I can, I can talk numbers if you want to, and if it's helpful. So I am the breadwinner for my family. It's me and my husband, and we're actually adopting a child this year. So there will be three people on the insurance with two. I am paying $900 a month. Uh, if I worked for a school district, they would pay locally, they'd pay 50%, which would be Let's just say it's 800 because I'm not good at math. They would pay 400. I would pay 400. So then I would say, okay, am I going to make 400 more a month um, with this job or not? And if not, it wouldn't be a good position to step into. So again, just do the math. Um, in order to get your own health insurance, you just like go to a friendly health insurance broker. They help you. It's not difficult. Um, and see if the money is going to flush out for you as well. Um, another thing to consider is, are you getting paid for things like paperwork and IEP meetings? Are you getting paid if you're working a full eight hours? Are you getting paid for eight hours? We all know we work more than eight hours, most of us, most days, uh, but we're only getting paid for eight hours. But you know, if you're doing that and only getting paid for five or six hours because you're only paid for direct client contact time, like direct group time, 
I'm not sure that that's going to be in your best interest. So the, those are things I would ask companies before starting to work with them. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm curious, do you have paperwork time built in or how are your hours set up? So I get paid for eight hours a day and I work at least eight hours a day. So I'm very happy with that, but not all companies do that. Okay. Yeah, that's super helpful. Um, And something you really want to think about because your hourly rate might be double, but if you only get paid for the sessions that you have and if it's only if the students show up or whatnot, then that could get a little bit tricky. So that's a great point. Um, Exactly. Do you have any other tips or advice or things to think about? Let's see. I would just say sort of zooming out, if you will. uh, I would say that for me, doing telepractice was a great opportunity for me to reduce my stress, increase my independence, and spend more time at home, which has ultimately made me happier. Will I do it forever? I don't know. Uh, I'm one of those people that... uh, loves change, but also loves security and things staying the same. So like, I truly don't know uh, how long I'm in this for, but I'm really enjoying it right now. And it has given me those benefits, which to me are more important than a pension and health insurance. So really think about your values and what you'd like to get out of your job to see if telepractice is a good fit for you, because it's not a good fit for everyone. But if it's a good fit for you, I can tell you the transition is probably not as big of a deal as you are making it out to be, and that you can be very successful doing telepractice as an SLP. Okay, super helpful. And so if an SLP is thinking, yes, this is for me, I want to like get a new job next year and dive into all things teletherapy, do you have any because I know that you found your company because a friend worked there, um, but do you have any suggestions in terms of navigating that and where to start looking for those types of positions? Right. So I've been in the telepractice game for a long time. So I do get questions, especially on social media, that's like, who should I work for? Who do you work for? Tell me the company name, right? Which you're not asking that, but I would say that's like my number one, the number one question people ask. And I just say, look, I've been doing this for, like, I actually lose track of how many years. I think it's six or seven. Hold on. Seven. Okay. So I've been doing telepractice for seven years. And so when I was in the market looking for a company, things were so different. Half the companies that are available now weren't available then. So I am not the expert in finding a good teletherapy company because I did that seven years ago and I got super lucky. So I would say if you're looking now or if I was looking now, what I would do is I would follow some companies on Instagram, I would follow some companies on Facebook, and then there are so many Facebook groups that are focused on telepractice teletherapy topics. And you can ask a question like that. You can go into the group and search the past discussions and just put in teletherapy companies because people ask that question all the time. And what I tell people when they ask me is like, you know, my information is seven years old. So go there and see what are people talking about right now? You know, what did someone say on Facebook last week in one of these groups? Because that's going to be your best source of current information. Yeah, that's super helpful. You are such a good problem solver. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Some days. Um, you've got lots of strategies in here. Uh, yeah, and I couldn't agree, agree more. I think that's a great strategy. And like what is best for one SLP might not be what's best for you as well. Um, so I think the questions that you've listed are really important. Like you can, because I, I have a feeling these companies really want you on their team. Um, and so they really need SLPs mm-hmm. um, because they make more money when they have more SLPs to contract out. Yes. Um, and there's just that need for them. Um, but so ask the questions and like figure out what, because you obviously have a reason to make that transition and think about what you're looking for and what you need and um, like what's on your wish list and just ask 
different companies and see which one gets closest to that and maybe do a little bit of research too to see if they'll be true to their word because like I've definitely heard a lot of stories about SLPs being promised one thing in terms of like caseload or whatnot. Um, so definitely take that information with a grain of salt. But I'm so glad that you listed those questions, um, Sarah, because then that gives us a starting point to figure out whether a company could be a good fit or not. Yeah. And I do want to add, I would say if you value independence, some downtime, like for example, one of the schools I work at, um, the aide has like a 20 minute duty. <laughs> and I love that I can, you know, like pop into my kitchen and get some tea and uh, come back and like have a minute. So I don't take 20 minutes, uh, but I have a minute. And that's something that I couldn't get in the school. So for me, things like health insurance, it was important, but I could solve that problem, right? Um, and I just needed more bandwidth. And so, again, whether you work in the schools in telepractice or in person, your caseload's probably going to be big. You're probably going to have more paperwork uh, to do than you have time for. And there will always be upsides and downsides. So you need to decide what you value. And for me, my values were family time and independence. And when I line those values up to my telepractice work, that and I had to be done by 3.30 every day, like computer shut down done. And I've gotten all of those things. So really think about what you're willing to live with and then what you value and what your non-negotiables are and try to find something that lines up with that. And even if telepractice isn't the switch for you, if you are unhappy in your work setting, have confidence that you can handle a different work setting and a different job. Because again, just like the story I told in the beginning of this episode, crying so hard that I couldn't drive myself half a mile home uh, on my last day of work, it was so hard to leave, but I never looked back. And it led to a lot of increased happiness. So if you're considering a shift, you should probably make it. You know, happy people don't consider shifts usually. Uh, so really give it, give it some thought and have confidence in your ability to navigate that change. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. I so appreciate all of your wisdom and tips and uh, helpful stories. I think that's what um, really can, like I definitely connected and um, I've had some of those moments too. So it was really helpful um, to be able to hear all of that. Um, and do you have any any last tips you want to share? Or are you good? Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're giving me like free, free time and space to say whatever I want. And it's so exciting. I don't even know what to do. Um, <laughs> I would say that if you are navigating a job change, uh, again, build your confidence, but it may be helpful to see a therapist. And that was something that was really helpful for me when I was going through burnout. Um, but also when I was navigating a job change, because she was able to sit with me and say like, okay, we're going to use this self-care strategy and the self-care strategy, and we're going to give it this length of time. And then we're going to talk about it. Right. And I did all the self-care in the world and I still felt so exhausted at the end of the day, so drained. And I really wasn't there for my family or my friends. There was work, Sarah. And then there was what we call on our podcast, the dried out sponge, Sarah, like it has the dishwater and then you like, you know, you like wring it out. That's how I felt at the end of the day. So if you're finding yourself in a situation like that, I would recommend seeing a therapist just to help you navigate that change. It's a big change, but chances are you'll be able to make the switch and you'll have so much more confidence in yourself, your skills and your abilities, and you might just be a lot happier. Awesome. That is a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much, Sarah. And if you want to find out more about Sarah, you can follow her at SLP Happy Hour on Instagram. Uh, check out her podcast too, which is also SLP Happy Hour. Um, and then the blog is also slphappyhour.com, right? You got it. Okay. Any other places to share? Or are we um, good to go? Oh, if you want my speech therapy blog, it is sarahlockhartspeech.com forward slash 
blog, or I am the only speech language pathologist in my town. So if you're not sure how to spell my name, you can search speech pathologist Ashlyn Oregon and again, Sarah Lockhart. Okay. Awesome. Thank you again. And yeah, I so appreciate you. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.